Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. Femba can go to hell. Topical talk, outspoken opinion and inspirational conversation on the hour of badass power. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one compares. Minter, Campbell and Sexton are your all new Saturday night super squad. Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. One, two, three, four! Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. And we'll be with you for the next hour talking about all things sexy nurses, Zadie Smith, um... Female condoms, which, or are they female? Are they male? I don't know. I'm really confused by them, but we've got some condom experts who are going to be telling us. And uh, also, what are the rules of working with your friends? How can you manage that? We're going to be talking about all of that and lots more on this week's Badass Women's Hour. But as always, we like to start with a little news review. So some things that we've been talking about that piqued our interest this week. Um, stories from the news that basically we've got an opinion on. Emma, what's up first? Oh, so I don't know if you saw this uh, story this week, ladies, which was about some guys that dressed up as like sexy nurses. Although I think they look far from sexy <laughs> if you see their picture, bless them. And they raised £2,500 for the NHS. But... The woman at the local NHS who they were raising the money for... Is it the CEO? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, was it Danielle Tiplady? Yep. Um, so basically, they rejected the money. And they turned down this money from these guys dressed as sexual, sexy nurses because they were like, well, as nurses, we're always seen as these like lovely little handmaidens and we're seen as objects, but we're a profession and society needs to respect us as a profession. So there was lots and lots of kind of furore and chat about this, particularly on Twitter and social media with people saying, how could they turn this money down? Surely the NHS needs the money. Take it wherever you can get it. The group of guys, they do this every year. They've been doing it, I think, for about 40 years, they said now. Um, It's a really big tradition for them. But I really agree with her. I I think that she should have turned this money down because aren't we beyond a place where we sexualize and trivialize nurses? Are we not over that now? Now. Beyond the nurse point, I think if you are doing a job that is your vocation, something you are fundamentally passionate about, and people have taken a stereotype of your profession, and a stereotype that doesn't show you being uh, the intelligent, well-educated people that you are, and, I'll say, and women that you are, but actually, you know, pigtails and all, all of the stereotypes that point to a more carry-on version of a nurse... From a values perspective, I would turn the money down too, because at the moment we're not seeing the value that nurses provide. They are underpaid. And if she'd said to them two years running, think of something else, guys. I appreciate the money, but think of something else. And they still couldn't have it. They still couldn't find it within them to find something better. Then I'd turn the money down so, too because it's an important vocation and we shouldn't belittle it in that way. But what if they were doing so surgery, obviously being a surgeon, again, like, you know, highly respected um, vocation. What if they were being like crazy surgeons, almost like the stereotypical surgeons that you saw in the horror movies? Would you be like, yeah, and the surgeon went, no, do you know what? We're a really respected profession. You're just making a mockery. Uh, I'm not going to accept this money. Is that the same? Yes. It is the same. Is because it, it's, it's a vocation. It yeah, I don't it think is it is. It is the same. But equally, they were given an opportunity to do that and they didn't. Why? Because as men, the thing that they found most funny, ha ha ha, was running around in stockings and suspenders. It appealed to their smaller mind. Well, I do. Because we do know that <laughs> men love a bit of dressing off as women. I, I feel like it unleashes a side that they should be allowed to be expressing more often. You know, they do really enjoy it. 
but they I enjoy dressing some... up as a caricature of what they perceive women to be. They do, but I think there's something about being able to laugh at ourselves, right? Mm. So we should all be able to laugh at ourselves, which is why I think actually dressing up as crazy surgeons is in a way a bit different to dressing up as nurses because that is a profession that does take itself very seriously that has a high level of respect around it not just within hospitals but actually the way we as you know patients treat surgeons is very very different um, different so to what? Different how we treat nurses. Yeah, and, but true. it shouldn't be. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be. be yeah. But it I think be. currently, the way it is at the minute, there is way too much in terms of mockery and sexy nurses than there ever is in terms of mocking surgeons. So I, I do, I do think in this case, I'm kind of with her. She, she did warn them. She just, she did go, look, can you do something different next year? So I think the fact that they haven't, you look at the story and you just think, oh, someone's rejected some money because they've dressed as sexy nurses, which is kind of one story. But when someone's repeatedly said to you, can you not mock our profession? please and they've disregarded that then I think she's right to go I'm also going to say it would be I would uh, feel different about this if they also presumed that nurses could have been men and some of them dressed up as male nurses in a kooky quirky way but they didn't do that and uh, you know I think also in the conversation we just had we made a presumption that and maybe this was my presumption that surgeons were also men so, and had they have dressed up as women as uh, you know crazy surgeons fine but I don't think they would have done that either uh, I don't know that presumptions there, but I do think it's about understanding where the level of respect is, and the level of respect right now is with surgeons and doctors, and not with nurses. So in a way, it's then easier to take the mick out of surgeons and doctors than it is nurses. And I think that reflects actually when we think about um, when people say, oh, "Well, you know, feminists still t- take the piss out of men; they're still mean to men, and yet we can't do the same to women." And it's actually about well thinking about where the power lies. Mm. And when the power lies with someone, then it's actually sort of, it's okay to mock them a bit. It's okay to take them apart a bit. But when you don't have the power, no, you need that respect. You need the respect to be given. And maybe that's what this wasn't working for. But guys, we appreciate you drumming up that money for the NHS. That is important. Keep doing that. (laughs) That bit's important. Some some different stereotypes, please. (laughs) Different stereotypes, please. Some different costumes from the costume shop next time. it's not hard. Try a bear. Go with animals. Look in Google. Look in Google. That'll give you some ideas. (laughs) No, or don't look in Google. Don't look in Google. Not for sexy nerds. Based on this next story, (laughs) don't look in Google. (laughs) What's the next story? So, our next story is uh, about AI. Should we look at AI now? So, AI, artificial intelligence, and how basically tech is adapting to what we already know. Now, why is this a problem? Um, so fundamentally, what we're saying is that AI is sexist. And why? Because it's being programmed and developed by men. So this story comes from Wired magazine, and it, the headline is, Machines trained on photos learn to be sexist towards women. Um, the... Um, this was discovered by the University of Virginia and what a professor noticed was, was that there was a pattern in image recognition that would take a, would notice a picture of a kitchen and associate it with women. And he, I guess, discovered that through the programming and the bias of the way the algorithms are built and the data is captured, that what, what we're developing and perpetuating is a very... Um, even more so patriarchal version of the world in augmented and virtual reality. And what causes this though? Surely if we're creating a completely new world, why is it picking up on these stereotypes already? Um, so what you know, what they're saying is that a virtual world amplifies the real world. Because yeah, they can only take the data. So what they're doing is that you take existing data and you put it into these machines or these robots. So then you have that to go on. So if, for instance, you've got, you know, you know the way the world is at the minute where it's a bit distor- distorted in terms of gender balance. So going back to nurses, for instance, if you put data in that 80% of nurses were female, the robot would would just start to assume that yeah. anything to do with when nursing even though you're trying to perhaps make nursing profession say 50 50 gender if that data doesn't go into the machine the machine's just not gonna but it also then amplifies um the data so it it I, I guess exacerbates bias because it so it takes that data and it's like okay this is correct so it's correcting and correcting and correcting to a point where you know it, it makes it will make an assumption that anytime it sees a kitchen it must be profiled next to a woman and um, we were talking about this uh, before but just simple things now you, if you type certain words into google or you put uh, i put uh, boss into the gif search filter on twitter and you only get men i then put ceo i was trying to find an image to send to some women i put ceo in and you only get 
photos See, this of men. this fills me with so, despair. I'm like, are we just going to undo all of our hard work with the Lincoln it's robots? It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I, <sighs> when you told me about this, I just tried it and I put boss in and I got only men with the exception of Beyonce saying, <laughs> I'm not bossy, yeah, I'm yeah. the boss, obviously. And then I did CEO and I got a whole load of gifts of CEO except for one woman where she was saying, has everyone forgotten I'm co-CEO? And I was like, well, what? that's actually a bit ironic, isn't it? The only gif of a female CEO <laughs> is a woman saying, has everyone forgotten that I'm a CEO? You know, that's, I don't know why I'm laughing. And that is tech picking up on our biases. But yeah. what I don't know is how we then change that because I'm a bit worried that if we do start changing it, are we then trying to design society? And anything that is about designing society feels a bit eugenics-y to me which yeah. I'm not very comfortable yeah, with yeah where do you draw the line on that you're right design I hadn't really thought about that it's that and also the ethics of who owns what in a, in a tech world who owns what in a virtual world but I think and it goes back to all the conversations that we're having in the media at the moment around the role women's role and and the fact that we're not in leadership positions we're not um, in the same numbers as men designing these programs we're not creating the the software that build the, these augmented reality worlds to get that balance or at least be able to notice these things. Men aren't looking at put, but, looking at the term CEO in Twitter and noticing that it's lots, mm. lots of men and there are no women. But the thing that I worry about is that we notice that, but I don't actually know how many other women do because maybe if you hadn't pointed that out to me, would you I have noticed it? Notice. Maybe. I mean, but I'm in that world 24-7, so mm. it's my job to notice all levels of kind of low level sexism so I see it everywhere but if it's not your job if you're not involved in it the whole time do you notice it and so I wonder whether women we would just be putting those biases in as well if they are machines can we not program them to not be sexist can you not type something into the machine and say right well if your balance of nurses versus are like is it, if the gender balance isn't there, I don't so know. Great question. Do Great question. I don't know the answer. Listeners, do you know the answers? <laughs> I know that we have a lot of women in tech who do know this kind of stuff. If you know, do you what? Tell us. Find us on Twitter at Badass Women's Hour. Come and tell us. We need your advice. How do we fix the robots before the robots fix us? <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, our final story this week is uh, Zadie Smith. The author Zadie Smith um, has caused uproar this week by saying that she limits the amount of time her daughter spends in front of the mirror. So she has said to her daughter that actually she's noticed that the amount of time she spends in front of the mirror versus the amount of time her brother spends in front of the mirror is wildly differing. So she has set a maximum 15 minute limit for her daughter every single day. No more than that in front of a mirror. I try to think about how much time I spend because I think I'm pretty low maintenance. I literally like fling on a bit of moisturiser, do my eyelashes and then I'm out. And I probably still am about 15 to 20 minutes. So it feels like a really small amount of time. But Emma, do you think it's a good thing that she's limited it? Do you know what? I really do because I feel like I've obviously grown up in a society where, you know, as a woman, you're not as valued if you don't take care of your appearance. And I think that's been a very subconscious thing that I've been aware of. And I do. I, I think about the time that I waste versus some of my male friends who literally just get up and go. Or, you know, when you like, I don't know, I'm going to go on a date with a guy and he'll be like, oh, yeah, well, I'll meet you at this time. It's like, have you not even considered that I've got to, like, have a shower, wash my hair, do my makeup? Like, you know, so I think I've wasted a way too much time. And I think nowadays when I see... You know, some of the like the women in terms of the way they do this fantastic makeup and they've got hair extensions in and all sorts and they're on the tube in the morning going to work. And I'm like, wow, like mm. you probably spent two hours doing that. Like it is a massive waste of our time that the guys just are not spending on themselves, are they? They're not. But should we actually limit it? Like, is it isn't that making as big a deal out of it as saying spend all the time yeah, but hang on uh, what, uh, what other thing do you spend an hour a day doing that is part of your self-care your education your personal so say it's personal development or whatever what what else have you spending that amount of time every day on i spend f at least 45 minutes on my hair and makeup if i spent 45 minutes reading a book would that not be a better use of my yeah, time great idea now what do you think should we be teaching kids that there's a limited amount of mirror time just as we say there's a limited amount of screen time for example I don't know. I'm like, you know, your kids do, do what you want. Um, personally, I think it's a broader conversation around just time. How do you spend your time to get out the door? We, you were saying before, I'm sure you spend more time um, getting ready. And I don't. I, you know, I have my getting out the door routine down to, to 45 minutes. I spend ages in the shower, like ages in the shower. 
but what goes on my face and what goes on my body that is a very quick process i probably spend a lot of time creaming my skin that that's where my routine goes but that's because i don't value time getting the getting ready i value the polish not the time yeah, but you're still spending 45 minutes yeah. as of a, i bet a guy but that, most a lot of that is literally standing in the shower for, but that is oh, no okay. reason other than the fact i just like standing in the shower it's my meditation time i listen to music i get myself ready for the day i think about you know what am i doing today and what meeting do i have you know all of that it's my meditation space so that's completely different um i think the, the point she's saying is that spending time looking in the mirror you you start to perpetuate an idea of of your imperfections so if she's saying don't start picking at yourself i get it no she's talking about she's comparing to her brother she's like your brother's not going to waste his time doing that yeah i i agree we need to kind of keep the amount of time that we have i like that idea about not spending that wasting that time looking at your imperfections which is what we do when we look in the mirror right Mm. we look at look at the bad things so if you're going to spend time looking in the mirror maybe let's spend time celebrating the good stuff picking the stuff that you like about yourself rather than just the bits that need a bit of work um what do you think how long does it take you to leave the house in the morning that says 45 minutes i think i can get out in 20 but i look a mess emma takes an hour it's a very very emma always looks really polished there. that's the other thing i don't know <laughs> so that's uh how long does it take you tell us find us on twitter at badass women's hour hr at badass women's hour should we be limiting the amount of time we spend in front of the mirror but stay with us because coming up we've got the COVID founders of a brand new brand of condoms and they're going to be explaining to us why women should be carrying them and why we should also be the main purchasers of them across the uk online and on dab (laughs) badass women's hour with harriet mincer natalie campbell and emma sexton on talk radio she'll get you talking Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. And we are also this week joined by the founders of brand new condom brand Hanks, uh, Farah Kabir and Sarah Walsh. Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hi, ladies. So uh, tell us, Hanks, what is it and why do we need it? (laughs) So, so Hanks is the first luxury male condom designed uniquely with women in mind. So we're designed by women and for women. And first and foremost, we're a lifestyle brand that's completely disrupting the industry as we know it. So why is this a male condom that is made for women? What is it going to do for me? So it is, it's, as I said, it's a lifestyle brand that really empowers you. So, you know, you'll be proud to carry it. You'll be proud to talk about it. And actually, we're breaking the taboo about women having condoms. Um, so it's a beautiful product that you'd be proud to carry in your handbag. Farah, why do you think it's different? What makes it unique? So we surveyed over 2,000 women and mm-hmm. we found out exactly what the pain points were and why people were put off buying condoms. Um, anything from the fact it's got a horrible latex rubbery scent to the garishly coloured packaging. So we went about and picked all those pain points. So you can see it's really nicely and discreetly packaged. Um, we're actually clean scented and where possible we're free of chemicals. So you've bought us some samples. Can I open this yes, one? Because oh, it, it, it is very beautifully packaged. It's sort of white with some beautiful gold writing. It looks almost more like a kind of little jewellery brand so or I'm, something. So I'm glad you didn't pink it, shrink it, rose gold it. <laughs> you know, it, it looks... It looks, it's elegant. I like it. Feels it feels a bit gender yeah. neutral, actually. It, it's completely gender yeah. neutral. Yeah. It just looks, it's well designed, looks good. And that was one of our, we've criticised, what well, I've criticised things like women's beer and stuff when they've yeah. stuck some flowers on it. Yeah. Um, because it's not about that. It's about creating a brilliant product. And my first instinct here is it's just a brilliant product. Oh, I'm just smelling ha- it. I'm having a little <laughs> sniff. Because that is the one thing about sniff. condoms. They do all it like, smell delicious. and the synthetic smells. I'm like, I do not want that in my I vagina thing. Bangs. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that smells fresh. That's clean. Fresh. Nice. That's clean. <laughs> no, because so, I think oh. with the branding as well, you know, we're not ruling out men. It's a, you know, it's a product that you know you want men to em- embrace as well. So, um, so, so yeah, do you think there is still a stigma around women carrying condoms? Because I thought after Sex in the City and Carrie spilling her condoms in front of Big, you know, first episode, I thought we were all over that. I Far. I don't think we are all, all over. That. I think you know, there's there's well. 
Some are, but there's still women that are still quite embarrassed to purchase condoms, especially when they're next to the pregnancy kits. I mean, what is that about? Or they're behind <laughs> the counter in some glass container where you have to tell the guy which condoms you want. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot that can be done. And one of the things that Hanks is doing is disrupting the condom industry as we know it by selling in places intuitive to women. So you won't find us next to all the other garish packaging. You'll find us... Um, Firstly, online through our subscription platform at hanksofficial.com and in Coco de Mer, the lingerie outlet, and also Wah Nails. So we want to put it in places where women can go about their day-to-day and pick up uh, condoms. Because the one thing I do have to ask about is the price point, because mm-hmm. they are a bit pricey. Mm-hmm. They are yeah. a bit, So they're £6 for a packet, right? Yeah. And you're selling them in places like Coco de Mer, which I love. It's a great shop, very fun. Um, but it charges women a lot for stuff that just looks good. Oh, is this? Are we kind of pricing women out of it? Um, I think with with our product, we're kind of encompassing all of the premium aspects into one. So, um, not only is our latex fair traded, um, so the safe working conditions and uh, pay for the factory workers, but also it's 100% natural, so no nasty chemicals, and it's also vegan friendly, so there's no animal byproducts. Which I just absolutely <laughs> love because if you're a vegan who, who wants some meat in your mouth, then you want to. <laughs> She's been holding it in. She's been holding it in. I mean, I must admit, if one of these fell out of your bag, I don't know about you, but I've always got my bag stuffed with stuff. And you know when you're like trying to get your phone out, you're trying to get a wallet out. I mean, I would never, ever carry condoms in a way that I would even dare them to fall out of my bag. But with this, I kind of feel like I could just sling it in my bag and I wouldn't. I wouldn't have the same concerns. Like, I'd be very, very aware of carrying condoms and where were they and could anybody see them? But I don't think I would with this. But isn't that also part of the reason that you did this and that women shouldn't feel ashamed to be yeah. carrying condoms and have them on their person because looking after our own sexual health is equally important as a man yeah. doing mm-hmm. it. So I guess there's two sides to this. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's about women taking control of that aspect, like any other aspect of your life. You know, you're taking control of your sexual health. You know, you, you're carrying the condoms as well. Um, but having the the neutral packaging and you know it looks luxurious it looks premium it's something that you know you feel positive having and it's a nice product to have in your bag do you have any spin-off products so is it just the condoms for the moment for now (laughs) yeah i feel like there's a whole brand you know there's a whole suite of of products here from um sex tech to lubricants but also Mm. under there's just a whole whole thing around what enables you to be your most sexual self that's just branded in a different way so how did you two meet then and how did you come up with this idea so we actually went to school together so we grew up from the same time where did you go give them a shout out york so yeah we we went to school together and funny enough we actually ended up at the same university so i studied uh, business finance and sarah studied uh medicine Uh, so we're at durham university together um, and Sarah had been working in hospitals in, in London and I was working in investment banking and this idea just came about purely based on uh, the story that I had where I was buying condoms and I bumped into my boss and I was absolutely mortified <laughs> and just having this bright <laughs> pack in my hand I was like hi <laughs> join your meal deal <laughs> <laughs> this is awkward. Um, so it was there. Yeah. We, we had lunch the next day, and Farah's telling me about this story. And as she mentioned, I was working in sexual health clinics at the time and seeing the rise of, you know, sexually transmitted infections, lots of which were becoming more and more untreatable, and also unwanted pregnancies. And Farah told me this scenario, which is all too common. And we decided actually this has to change. So we kind of figured out all the different things that needed to change within the market. Um, you know, there's nothing better than the male condom. It's safe, it's non-hormonal, um, and it protects against infections. But still, it's not been, it's not changed for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's definitely nothing out there like uh, targeted at women. So there's nothing at all like Hanks in the whole of Europe. So. Yeah, so I think this could be a game changer because I meet more and more women who don't want to be on the pill. They're using like the Natural <coughs> Cycles app. Mm-hmm. I'm all for like men being more responsible. So I'm thinking Hanks condoms or a vasectomy, please, guys. But <laughs> <laughs> vasectomies do not, don't, correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, they do not protect against STIs, right? Well, well done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I miss that. listeners' Hanks. benefit. Um, but is this. Is it a female problem, right? Is the rise of STIs, is it a female problem? Because I'm sure that we have all had occasion where we've had that, oh, do you have a condom moment? And they've gone, oh, no, I don't have one. And you're like, oh, good, because I do. <laughs> and then they've launched into a litany about why they don't like them. As Emma said, yeah. we always get somebody who says, oh, they don't fit me. Yeah, like, always. No, they do. <laughs> 
Um, how do we kind of get men to men to think this is a good idea too what do we do for that well we actually um when we surveyed we also surveyed some men and the majority actually said it was a great idea because they're like great hands off on responsibility for me and actually but but also that they liked that and it didn't look as if a woman was promiscuous actually they they found it to look as if they're taking control of their sexual health and they care about their body and themselves so yeah we've had quite a good response in that sense so do you think is um is kind of the future for this is it about education for both sexes yeah Yeah. i was going to mention that i think a lot of it is down to education and you know talking about it and raising awareness and um you know getting the right sex education because i've actually done some sex education in schools in london um, and there's still a long way to go for that to Mm. become you know how more acceptable and um done in the right way where do you think you would like Hanks to end up? What would be the dream in ten years' time? What would you What would you really want to have achieved? World domination. <laughs> see, right. See, there we go. I was hoping you were going to say. I, I was like, please proud. don't just say you know to be in a few stores. World domination was exactly what I was hoping yeah. for. Beyond Virtual high fives. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There we go. Bankrupting Jurex. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Great. to be honest, we. As we mentioned, we're a lifestyle brand and we will develop into other products. And what we want to show is that Hanks is actually a lifestyle brand that is a platform that activates and enables people to take control of their sexual health. And not just that, it could be other aspects of their lives in future. Yeah. So we want to be that platform that educates people, as Sarah has said, um, amongst other things. So. Okay. And Love just it. remind us again where we can find you. Hanksofficial.com, very Hanks. subscription model. Hanksofficial.com. So H-A-N-X official.com. And also Noir Nails and Kega de Mer. Fantastic. Uh, the girls from Hanks Official are staying with us because talking of education, they're going to help educate all of you by answering some of our badass balls ups, which mm. coming up next, those are your problems that we're going to try and use our over 100 years of wisdom to solve. Um, maybe this week we'll manage a couple. Uh, but stay with us for that because we're going to be talking about what are the rules for working with your friends? Can men and women ever be friends? I don't know, maybe. And um, exactly how do you educate someone who isn't that keen on using condoms? Girls, if you don't know the answer to that, we're worried. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Across the UK, online and on DAB. <laughs> Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. On Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Badass. 
Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minton. I'm joined by my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this week we are also joined by Sarah Welsh and Farah Kabir of Hanks, the new brand of condoms. Uh, welcome ladies, thanks for staying with us. Thank you. It's the section of our show where we do our badass balls up, where we use our combined wisdom to try and help you with your problems. Uh, we love it when you send them to us, so please do. You can find us on Twitter at Badass Women's Hour, HR at Badass Women's Hour, or Instagram, Facebook, all the socials, we're all there. Um, but come and tell us because we really, really like to know what's going on with you. We're nosy like that. <laughs> uh, so, Nat, you've got our first question this week. What is it? So the first question is around mates' rates, and I stole this from David McQueen. He posted it on LinkedIn, and he said, uh, what happens when you share um, or you say yes to a mates' rate for a startup? or that doesn't have much money and then once they do make it they come back and they still want mates rates what do you say do you up your rates do you say yes or do you say no Mm. so I think this is really difficult because you want to help your friends out don't you you want to help your friends out and you want to kind of you know boost their careers and you you don't want to take the piss with them in the way that you might do with a massive corporate um but equally you have to make a living and they're taking some of your time that could be given to someone else and i have to say that when i have done mates rates in the past it does become then very difficult Mm. to have that conversation afterwards where you go actually you now have to pay me at full price because they just don't think that you have the full price. They yeah. think the mates rates is the rate. And it's psychology around pricing, isn't there? If you pay cheap for something, you're never going to want to pay extra for that. Mm. So I think, I think it's really hard. I'm a bit like, I would never do mates rates now. I think before I've done it, but there's ha- there's has to be like a win-win scenario. So it's like, okay, I'm going to do this as a really cheap deal, but it's an amazing brand to work on, or it's an amazing project for the portfolio, or it's going to allow me. So I've had to really go, okay, this has got to work for me. But equally, I think if you're going to do someone for that rate you you're never going to go up from that it's just impossible i think did you guys rope in lots of friends to help you with the launch which which, yes, which so was yesterday yesterday yeah <laughs> we had a great launch yeah no we have had so much great support and lots of mates rates and i think you know it's a two-way thing and uh, you know like anything if someone helps you out you always want to help them out and you know hopefully in the future and even already we're tr- you know we're trying to support other new startups so the mates rates thing is a difficult one and i think it depends on the scenario and depends on the relationship um but i agree i echo everything you've said about you know having a rate you, you don't really want to bump it up after you've kind of set this base rate you kind of accept that that's you know what it is but you two were friends before you started the business did you have some kind of rules for working together do you have some rules like you know don't email me after 10 p.m or this is what i do this is what you do because you do you have to set those in place before you start working Farah. yeah i think um we've just been super comfortable with each other and very very open <laughs> and if something doesn't feel right or one person's peeing each other off <laughs> will just say I need time out like take me to a spa or let me yeah. just get out of the flat for <laughs> half an hour and I think that's really worked well for us and if we don't agree on something we'll hash it out and we'll talk about it yeah. I think the worst thing you can do is kind of bottle it up or brush it under the carpet so honesty has been very, worked very well for us and I think we work so well together because we are very different in our working I love working in the morning I'm up early far as a late night worker so she like catches up all the emails in the evening and, and night and I'm in the morning so it works well and our styles of working do complement each other uh, Nat would you ever give anyone a deal on your rates just because they're mates yeah definitely or or free I think but it's you need to be clear at the outset so if you're doing it this one time your friends should know what your rate is so if they come back a year later and they can afford it you then you you don't then know what your negotiating um, position is, but I don't think you should uh, let yourself be taken advantage of because someone is a friend. Because ultimately, if we're all running businesses here, if you're spending time on one thing, it means someone else is not paying you. Yeah, fair enough. So our second problem this week comes from uh, Gemma via Twitter. And she says, a couple of weeks ago, I went to a party for a friend and I didn't know many people. So I took the chance to mingle and chat with some strangers. I met this lovely man. He's just slightly younger than me, but he has the same interest. We've met up a few times as friends. My mates are warning me that eventually one of us will fall for the other. But I don't want to be in a relationship with him. I just really like him as a friend. Is that not okay? Can men and women just never be friends? (laughs) Emma, have you got male friends? I have, but I'm very wary about the boundaries that I have with friends because... I think that they can friendships um, can very easily drift into kind of emotional affairs. 
So I think you have to be really mindful about that. So for instance, if I have a male friend, for instance, I would never do anything that I would feel would cross a boundary with his girlfriend or his wife. So I mean, I'd be very, I'd be very respectful to her. And what sort of things would you put the boundary line on? So I think it would be about the time that we spent together. I think I'd be wary about our conversation topics. Um, if he started to... I don't know, kind of invest in our friendship in a way that he should be investing in his relationship with his girlfriend or a wife. Then what I would. What if you're be both single? Is that different? Yeah, I think that's totally different. If you're both single, that's totally, totally fine. Um, you know, there's always going to be a risk of somebody falling in love with somebody else. We're human beings. Like you fall in love with people, don't you? But I think that I'd only be, I'd only be wary about the emotional affair and not crossing boundaries. So I'd be very mindful about that guy's partner. Nat, do you think can men and women be friends? Men and women can definitely be friends. I have um, a lot of male friends that I work with um, in, in the same way that if, you know, I wouldn't think twice about being friends with someone that was a lesbian because I thought, we, you know, we're going to end up in a relationship together. I think that the boundaries, the crossing of boundaries is either an emotional uh, attachment or a sexual attachment, which then means you're betraying the person, you know, whoever it is that you're with. And that's the that's the only boundary that you need to be aware of. And yeah, it's possible that that might happen when you spend time with someone and, and you like someone, but I would never shut down a relationship with a man or a woman on the basis that I'm like, well, they just must be attractive to me. Uh, ladies, have either of you ever had what you thought was a friendship and then somebody ended up getting hurt somewhere along the line? you guys know each other so yeah. there's a story here uh -oh. <laughs> Spill the beans. Have to share. you're not on radio don't worry no one else can hear yeah. just, just us. us sure, <laughs> sure. Um, yes there was a particular person that was a very good friend of mine and it it did turn into a bit of a thing and feelings were hurt and in the end we decided it, it was better that that it didn't go ahead as a relationship and I'm very happy that of Are that you still decision. Friends? Not as much. E not as much, I've got to say. Mm -hmm. Not as much. And I think that's he the healthiest. Yeah, thing. I think it's the same with kind of exes. I think it's difficult to be friends with someone that you have had uh, intimate feelings with or relationship with. I think it's just it's very difficult. So I think from that aspect, you know, being friends with with an ex person or someone that you, you had feelings with is difficult, but men and women can definitely be friends and I think that's the thing about knowing actually what does the other person want as well so if you're clear on what you want mm. you're clear you just want to be friends and check in with yourself like yeah. check in and ask am I definitely clear about this is it okay if they had another partner would I be fine with that you know if you're clear on that make sure they're clear and just know where your boundaries are and then everyone's happy and we can all be friends <laughs> Emma what is our final question this week so our final question comes from Immy and it's quite good because it relates to the Hanks ladies this week basically Immy has been in a long term relationship so you know they had their kind of contraception sorted but now she's like okay I'm going to meet somebody new I'm going to be using condoms but like it's been like eight years since I've used a condom and I feel a bit like oh I really don't want to use condoms how can I kind of like get back into that I mean I'm definitely having seen Hanks today I'm like there's no problem get some Hanks you'll be fine but like are there are there anything has anybody else had the like, same thing where you're like oh I really don't want to use condoms but I'm in a new relationship and I need Ladies, to be basically, healthy is that I mean the packaging is lovely but the reality is is there any way to make condoms actually sexy that moment where everyone has to take a pause somebody has to put it on everyone sort of goes no to you to me to you to me <laughs> I mean I don't know what's sexy Catching an SDI or putting on <laughs> there Very we go. Good oh, yes. yeah. You're right. And Great I think point. as well, having something like this that you d does make you feel good, like any luxury item would or any nice thing in your handbag would, um, that makes you feel positive and empowered and actually ultimately that. Yeah, I can feel myself actually showing off about <laughs> yeah. it. Okay, like, hey, sweetheart. <laughs> Look what I've got. Good point. <laughs> we need to say a massive thank you to the fabulous ladies of Hanks for coming in today. Thank Woo! you so much. Thank, thank you for having us. Uh, and bringing their condoms with them. We're going to put them all over social media so you can check no, them out. No, we're not. There. We're going to test them at the weekend. <laughs> oh, <laughs> report <Okay>. back. <laughs> Emma's weekend, way more exciting. Than <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're going to be chatting now about our backdated badass, the woman from history that you really need to know about. And this week's backdated badass is known as the First Lady of the Black Press. Find out more in just a minute. Across the UK, online and on DAB. <laughs> Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. On Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome back 
the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm still here with my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And it's that time of the show where we talk about an amazing woman from history that you need to know about. That's right, our backdated badass. And this week is brought to us by Alice Zania Jarvis, Features Director at the Evening Standard magazine. Hi, Alice Zania. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for joining us today. You're very welcome. So, who have you picked for us this week? So, I'm going to be talking about Ethel Payne, who was an African-American journalist famous for her reporting on the civil rights movement. And I love her story and find her inspiring for all sorts of reasons. Um, Firstly, often called the first lady of the black press, she didn't actually become a journalist until her 40s. Um, But when she did, she was one of the first African-American reporters to get White House accreditation, as well as being the first black woman to be made a television commentator on a national U.S. network and the first black reporter to cover the Vietnam War. Born in Chicago in 1911, she was the granddaughter of slaves. Her her father, a railway porter, uh, died when she was 14, and her mother worked domestic jobs to make ends meet. Uh, Growing up, her hero was Little Woman's Jo March, um, and she was a big reader and would write short stories as a teenager. Uh, But then after leaving school, she worked uh, as a school matron, a nursery school teacher, and a junior librarian. Um, But her yearning to be a writer clearly remained, um, and she took evening classes at Northwestern University's Journalism School. Then in 1948, uh, she saw, and this is a bit of a curveball, she saw a newspaper ad recruiting hostesses at a U.S. Army Recreation Club in Japan and applied for the job. She got it and moved halfway across the world to take up the post. Wow, Um, she sounds like she's quite kind of determined and she's just somebody you see something and goes for it. Mm. Well, exactly. And, and, uh, And moving away to Japan is perhaps not the most obvious thing to have done, but she did have a plan. Um, and when she, was, when she was out there, she spent the whole time writing um, and kept a diary. And then when a reporter from the Chicago Defender, uh, then America's premier black newspaper, visited the base, um, she took her chance, showed him her diary entries, and he then showed them to his editor, who turned them into a front-page story about race relations. Wow. And soldiers on the base were pretty, uh, pretty much still segregated. Um, That's amazing. What was the response to that? Well, I mean, the response was incredible, but people were very interested in the story. They hired her as a feature writer, the Defender hired her. She moved back to the U.S. and rose incredibly rapidly, um, becoming a sort of roving reporter before being made Washington correspondent in uh, 1953. Uh, now, being a female reporter at that time was pretty rare let alone an African-American female reporter. And as you can imagine, she, she faced all kinds of obstacles. Um, did she face she discrimination? Was... And what was, you know, did people kind of, I can imagine at that time that actually the response to it might have been almost quite aggressive. Well, this was at the height of the civil rights movement. So any appointment of this level would have been um, controversial. And one of the bits, one of the facts that we have here is that in 1966, she travelled to Vietnam to cover African-American troops that were fighting there, but also she went to the Nigerian Civil War um, and the Women's um, Women's Year Conference in Mexico. So I love the fact that even though she would have been fighting battles on home soil and being discriminated on home soil, she was still interested in the world around her and covering and reporting not just what was going on in the States, but everywhere. And also just to well, change that- your career at the age of 40 and go, OK, this is what I'm going to be a journalist now and to do that... I mean, yeah, no, it's it's completely incredible. And that's what she did travel all over the world, you're right. And, and she sort of saw the kind of liberation of people at home and abroad as, as being something that worked in, in tandem. And perhaps mm. what she's most famous for is um, in 1954 uh, asking Republican President Dwight D. Eisenhower if he was going to ban segregation on interstate public transport, which caused sensation at the time. She herself became news. And uh, this was largely because Eisenhower reacted so angrily, snapping at her, saying the administration is trying to do what it thinks and believes to be decent and just. Um, And as Ethel later said, it was just unheard of for blacks to be standing up and asking presidents Mm. impertinent questions, particularly a black woman, And, um, I mean, you mentioned discrimination. You know, whenever she was traveling in the South, she had to find uh, homes to stay in because 
hotels wouldn't put her up. And, and that was true of the Defender's other uh, black reporters. Wow. But, um, you know, her persistence paid off. And um, in the 1970s, CBS hired her, which made her the first African-American female commentator on a national network, which is pretty major. And then, you know, she, she interviewed everyone from Martin Luther King Jr. to JFK to Nelson wow. Mandela. And Henry Kissinger, I love this, Henry Kissinger um, was putting together his kind of press pack for a trip to Africa mm-hmm. in the 70s. And he, he apparently said to AIDS, you know, that woman on CBS who gives me hell. Let's <laughs> her. <laughs> so, and what was it so, about her that kind of drew you to her? What, where do you feel the connection? Is there a journalist is? affinity? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, as you know, she's in the same industry uh, but what I sort of admire so much is the persistence the the fact that she was uh, in her 40s when she finally achieved her dream and she didn't sort of stop striving for it but also the fact that she was never afraid of asking uncomfortable questions mm. and um, she's often called uh, the most influential journalist that people have never heard of and, and that's because uh, writing, you know, for the Defender, which had a largely black audience, um, she perhaps hasn't had the celebration she deserves um, because she didn't have such um, exposure. Uh, but her questions set the agenda because all the white reporters in the press pack with her would say, "Hey, that's that's a great question. We better be covering covering this story." And um, as such, she really, really had an influence across across the national press. Um, and I think like such an interesting point there, which is, as journalists, we think we should be reporting the news, but actually sometimes it's also about setting the news. And it takes a lot of, of courage course. to do that, because as a woman, if you stand up and do that, you get pilloried. But as a black woman, particularly in that time, like the level of response and sometimes aggression and re- outright racism towards it, you're putting yourself in the firing line of that. And that takes an awful lot of inner strength. It really does. Um, although she clearly loved it, she, uh, <laughs> she had yeah. a, a box, a box seat on history, and, and that's a rare thing. And, and, and if you look up uh, photos of her, which I really recommend doing, she she just looks like the most sort of fabulous and formidable character, sort of standing there in her leopard print coat with oh, yes. big hair, yeah. sort of surrounded by blokes, and she's she's really quite astonishing. And there's old pictures of her sort of standing outside aeroplanes when she's off on a foreign trip and so on and she's just an incredible lady really she is an amazing lady thank you so much for bringing her to our attention that's ethel payne the first lady of the black press uh alice azania jarvis features director of the evening standard magazine thank you for joining us today thank you loved hearing about her um, so we're coming towards the end of our show now, but as ever, we like to leave you with a little something for the week ahead, something for you to live your life by, to give you some guidance, maybe some inspiration, and that is our badass principle. So now, what is our badass principle of the week this week? The badass principle this week is reinvent it, and it was inspired by Emma. She's smiling at me like, yeah, yeah, that <laughs> I'm was like, mine. that's a that good one mine. this week. Now. <laughs> I like it, but inspired by Hanks and the fact that they, you know. We were skeptical. Well, I was skeptical before because I thought it might be a pink it shrink it situation. But they've taken a product that really hasn't changed since it was ever invented, and they've made it slick and stylish and elegant and sexy. And they've removed the sex from it per se because a man or woman could pick up this product. And I, I liked that they were ballsy. They were badass. They're thinking about world domination. They're doing a crowdfunder soon. And I just get that they're just brilliant, super smart entrepreneurial women. Um, and if we could all harness a little bit of that in our week ahead, then we're on to a winner. What would you be reinventing? If you were going to reinvent something this week, what would it be? Putting me on the spot. If I... Can you come back to me? I don't know. <laughs> Emma, it's what Friday. does reinvent it mean for you? I think it's always challenging the status quo, right? I think, And I, I think I do this quite a lot because I'm a designer, so I always... I'm always using my design thinking. So I'm always thinking about like the end user, the end outcome, which is exactly what those Hanks uh, ladies did. They really spoke to women and they spoke to men and they really were like, actually, what are all the challenges around here? So I think for me, I'm always questioning why. Like, okay, just because it's always 
always been done that way does it always have to be done like that and mm. I'll do that for myself like even my own habits I'd be like okay just because you've always done it like that or always thought like that is that still working for you is that still right so I think it's it's good to keep questioning and keep challenging and keep changing and kind things of do up. your research around the status quo so know why it is like that and yeah. then why it could be different yeah um, and you talked about, I'm just going to ask you about this because you talk about a lot, which is the concept of design thinking. Yeah. What does that mean? So uh, there's basically a kind of a process. But if I was going to sum it up in one uh, short, easy, like layman's terms, basically it's creativity, but with the end user in mind. So it's, I would say it's structured creativity. So instead of just some, oh, yeah, let's just do some random idea, like creativity is all a bit out of control. This is about, okay, what does that person need, that human being at the end of that experience, whatever that is, whether it's a condom, whether it's a shop store, whether it's a logo design, what do they need to think, feel and do? Mm. Beautifully put, Emma. I mean, if anybody wants me to consult on design <laughs> thinking, there we let go. me know. That's why she's a badass. <laughs> and I think reinvent it for me is essentially about what actually are we doing because we've just been doing it forever. Mm. What could we change? What the, I'm going to spend this week. Actually, I did put you on the spot there when I Nat, when I said what would you reinvent, but maybe this week I'm going to look for something that I think needs a bit of a rejig. And if you want to do the same and you think you've spotted something, let us know. Find us on Twitter at Badass Women's Hour, HR, at Badass Women's Hour, or on Instagram, Facebook, all the socials. Tell us what you're going to reinvent or just tell us what you're up to because we love having a chat during the week. We miss you. <laughs> um, or if you want to talk to us personally, you can find me at Harriet Minter, Nat. At Nat D. Campbell. And Emma. At Emma Sexton. And of course, we'll be back here again, same time, same place on Talk Radio. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.